There's just something awful when we see things of value destroyed, okay? When we see things that are just something within us recoils, when we see something of, that we value, like Lloyd and Harry using $100 bills to blow their nose, or Pete Townsend of The Who destroying a $5,000 Taylor acoustic guitar. Pete, send that to me, man, okay? As a guitar player, uh, I, that just pains me, but nothing is worse and watching maybe the most beautiful car ever made, destroyed in, in that. It's just, something just recoils within us uh, when we see things of value diminished and, and degraded and, and everything like that. And so uh, um, I'm glad that you guys are here today because we're going to talk about something very important today. This is just something that just fires me up. And so uh, we are in a series called Three Truths About Heaven. Today we're, it's part two. We're talking about Heaven is a place where Jesus is infinitely valuable. Now, for most of human history, um, gold has been the standard of value. That's why we have the term, the gold standard, okay? Well, why is gold, why, why even, you know, 2,000 years ago, 4,000 years ago, was gold considered valuable? Well, they're, they're the reason, number one, it's Rare. Gold is not found on every street corner. You know, wood and dirt are very, very common. And so for something to have value, first of all, it has to be rare. Uh, dear politicians in D.C., the more you print money, the less value it has, okay? So the, the rarity of it determines its value. Less than 100 of those 1961 uh, Ferrari California specials were made. Less than 100. That's why they were so valuable, Okay? That's why they're more valuable than, say, a, a Camry or a Corolla or, or a Ford Pinto, you know, because they're very, very uh, rare. Okay, the second thing, though, is, is that gold is permanent. Anybody who's ever been sold a fake gold ring knows what happens after a couple days. What does it leave around your finger? Uh, yeah, green ring, absolutely. Uh, it, it tarnishes. Uh, iron will rust, it will tarnish. Gold does not tarnish. I've had this wedding ring on my finger for 27 years, uh, and it has not left a ring yet because it doesn't tarnish, it doesn't rust, it is permanent. It's rare, but it's permanent. But the third thing, that there, there are rare and permanent uh, precious metals 2,000 miles below the earth's crust that we can't get at. They're not valuable because we can't get them. So the third thing is accessible. The things of value have to be accessible to us. Rare, permanent, and accessible. That's how we determine things of value. Well, here in, in, in this church, I'm here to proclaim to you that Jesus, is infinitely valuable. Why? Because he's rare. He's the only son of God. There's only one of him. In the entire universe, there's only one. He's permanent. The Bible tells he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is unchanging. He doesn't have a bad day. He doesn't change with the times. He doesn't read the, the newspaper and say, oh, well, maybe I need to change my word to see what these people are saying. No, he doesn't do that. He's permanent. He doesn't change. Jesus was, was the same when he walked the earth 2,000 years ago as he is today. And the third is that he is accessible. Through the cross, through the, through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, he threw open the doors to heaven so that we could have access to eternal life, access to the Father, access through Jesus Christ. That's why he is infinitely valuable, rare, permanent, 
and accessible. And if you don't believe me, uh, this is what the Bible says in the book of Revelation. This is a, a glimpse of heaven. And Revelation 5, 1 through 14, I invite you to follow along with me. Uh, John is, is seeing visions of heaven. And he writes this, And I saw on the right hand of him who sat in the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? Now, who was saying that? A mighty angel. So an angel, a mighty angel. I don't know if you've ever taken on an angel. I wouldn't recommend it, okay? Uh, a mighty angel is not worthy to open this scroll. No, no one. And, 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 and he says this. No one in heaven or on earth or under earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. He said this thing. It's going to take somebody of infinite power and infinite worth to open this scroll because not even a mighty angel could do it. It goes on. And, and John says, I wept. Verse 4, I wept and wept because no one was found worthy to open the scroll. Look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, see, elders aren't all bad. Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and the seven seals. And then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain. Who was that? Jesus, absolutely, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne, and when he'd taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song, saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals, because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them into to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, and ten thousand times ten thousand. They encircled the throne, and living creatures and the elders, in a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise that I heard every creature in heaven and on earth under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. Then the four living creatures said amen and the elders fell down and worshiped. In other words, heaven is a place where they recognize the value of Jesus, the infinite value of Jesus. There are thousands and 10,000 times 10,000 angels singing praise to him, acknowledging him as infinitely valuable. So here are the truths about heaven. This is point number one. Heaven is a place where we will enjoy Jesus being infinitely valuable. Not just where he's infinitely valuable, but where we will enjoy Jesus being infinitely valuable. Matthew 13, 44 through 46, Jesus says this, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Heaven is a place where Jesus is seen greater and of more value than anything that exists. Okay. Even more, heaven is a place where we will enjoy Jesus being infinitely valuable. I have to just kind of be real with you guys. I want to share something. It, it, it pains me. 
And it troubles me how minimized Jesus is on this planet, in this world. Jesus' name has been reduced to a swear word when someone hits their thumb with a hammer. Jesus' own people will come worship him if, they're not, if they don't have laundry to do that day. Or if they're not having a good, if they're not having a good day. Or if there isn't something good on TV. Or if they're just kind of tired. Jesus' glory and sacrifice on the cross is forgotten and minimized and devalued. We live in a world where most of the church, most of the church would identify itself as lukewarm. That's not me calling the church lukewarm. That's what the church would say about itself. Hey, I'm not doing too bad, but I'm not doing too good. You know, I'm just kind of, kind of existing, kind of in the middle. Minimization of Jesus' name. I, I, I compare it to someone throwing paint on the Mona Lisa or, or bulldozing the Sistine Chapel. You know, you know you don't, I, I just look at people that do stuff like that. Don't you just realize what you did? You just took the most infinitely valuable name in the universe and used it as a curse word. You, you slept in on Sunday morning when you could be here praising the one of infinite value and you chose to watch Sports Center rather than do that? Why don't you just take dog poop and throw it on the Declaration of Independence? That's what you're doing when you're minimizing and devaluing the precious, awesome name of Jesus. See, in heaven, everybody knows his infinite worth. Here on earth, man, we just got it wrong. And it pains me bothers me. And this is how I feel when I see Jesus minimized, taken for granted, ignored, even patronized. This bothers me. It's enough to crush my spirit when I see that. And as a pastor, I'm just going to be real. Do you guys know why I get so upset when people miss on Sunday morning? It's not, I, I love you. I love seeing you. I love seeing, I miss seeing my friends and I miss seeing the, the, the community of faith being together. But what pains me is that people that call Jesus Christ Lord and Savior chose something else to do rather than recognize and give praise and worship. Couldn't even be bothered to give an hour of worship to the one who has infinite value. And as a pastor, that destroys me. It does. I miss your fellowship, like I said, obviously, but it shows an attitude that giving worship to Jesus or missing giving that worship just isn't that big a deal to you. Heaven isn't like that, thank God. In heaven, people won't decide to worship Jesus if there isn't laundry to be done, if nothing gets in the way. Heaven's a place where Jesus is infinitely valuable, where he's given all the glory, all the praise, and all the honor that is due him as the Son of God. And, and maybe in here today and, and, and joining us online today, maybe there are people that in, you, you, you haven't really murdered anyone, you haven't kidnapped anyone, you haven't really, you know, stole, you haven't robbed a bank, but maybe the sin that you need to repent of today is that you've just minimized the name of Jesus and you've taken him for granted and you've patronized him and you've, and you've devalued his name. Maybe that's the sin that we need to repent of this morning. That we've taken something of infinite value and thrown paint on it. We've bulldozed the Sistine Chapel. 
destroyed the 1961 Ferrari. He used $100 bills to blow our nose. And none of those things is even close to minimizing the name of Jesus. See, there's only one group of people who actually enjoy watching and savoring Jesus being infinitely value, valuable, and those are the people who love him. The people we love, think about the people in your life that you love. You don't minimize them. You prioritize them. What bothers them bothers you. What is important to them is important to you. That's how you know you love someone. You prioritize them. Those who love God, not under obligation or under compulsion, but freely and genuinely love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, their eternity is going to be amazing because finally, finally, we see Jesus getting all the glory and all the value that is due him. We long to see Jesus recognized as infinitely valuable, and we will rejoice when it happens. And contrary to not just us enjoying Jesus being infinitely valuable, but second point is this, this has to be made, that hell will be filled with people who believed in Jesus but did not value Jesus. Let me say that again. Hell will be filled with people who believed in Jesus but didn't value Jesus. One of the most famous passages of Revelation, and we'll say it again, Revelation 3, 15 through 16, he says this to the church at Laodicea, I know your deeds, you're neither hot nor cold. I, I wish you were either one or the other because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold. I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. See, I can believe that there's dirt outside. How many of y'all believe there's dirt outside? You guys believe there's dirt? Okay, yeah, there's dirt outside. Uh, how many of y'all believe there are, there's pavement outside? There's pavement outside? How many of y'all believe that? Yeah, yeah, I believe that. But I, I've realized that I'm lukewarm towards the dirt outside. I believe it's there, but I don't really value it. I, I, I'm lukewarm to the pavement outside. I, I just kind of take it for granted. When I, when I drive to work, I drive to church, you know, I, I, I just kind of take it for granted. I drive, I mean, I appreciate it. I believe it's there, but I don't really value it all that much. That is until something happens that disrupts my, my way where I have, to, I have to take a detour or something like that. Then I get mad at it. But I don't really value it, but I believe it's there. Okay, I, I really do. If someone said, Dave, do you believe there's payment? Yet, yeah, absolutely, I believe. But do I value it? So there are a lot of things that I'm lukewarm in my life towards. A lot of you, everyone has things that we're lukewarm. We believe they're there, we just don't value them. That's not the problem. It's when we are lukewarm towards Jesus that we're in the most dangerous spiritual state the Bible identifies. If we're in a place today where we believe Jesus is the Son of God, no problems there, but we don't value him, we don't recognize him as infinitely valuable, we're on very dangerous ground because heaven won't be like that at all, y'all. Heaven won't be like that. And so I found in the Bible there are three marks of a Christian who sees Jesus as infinitely valuable. Here are the three marks. This is how you know if you see Jesus as infinitely valuable. Okay, number one is this, that you're highly troubled when Jesus is minimized. Okay, you're highly troubled. Exodus 20 verse 7 says this, You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold guiltless anyone who misuses his name. It bothers you when you see Jesus downgraded, when you see him uh, minimized, when you see him just 
taken for granted, patronized. It upsets you. And you can be legalistic or pharisaical or because of how much it bothers you seeing Jesus' name belittled or, or minimized. Um, I, I, I was teaching this when I was, I was in youth ministry, in one of my first youth ministries, and, and I wasn't as um, wise, shall we say, uh, with the way that I presented things. Um, I was a bit of a maverick, and, uh, and I didn't mind shocking people a little bit early in my youth ministry days. And so I preached a message on valuing God's name, about taking the Lord's name in vain. Because that was one of the questions my students was asking. You know, is, is it okay to say the OMG? Is it okay to say this? You know, kind of thing. Okay. So I preached a, a message on that. And one of the, the elders visited me the day after that program. It was on a Thursday morning. And walks into my office, knocks on the door, and said, you got a minute? I said, sure, absolutely got a minute. And he said, uh, my grandson said that you were swearing during your sermon last night. He goes, what, what happened? And, and, and I, said, I said, yep, I did. And he goes, explain that to me. And I said, okay. Well, I, I, I said, I was teaching on taking the Lord's name in vain. And I said, I'd rather them say the S word, although I said the S word. I'd rather them say the F word and the B word than OMG. Hmm. And the elder looked at me and he goes, I, I, I see your point, but why don't we just not say any of them? And I was like, okay, yeah, that, that's a good point. But then he turned to me and he said, thank you. And he sat down in the chair opposite my desk and he said, there's something our young people desperately need to know. He, he said, it hurts my heart. This was a very godly man. I respected him a lot. It hurts my heart to hear our Lord's name so misused and so used so carelessly. He goes, hearing his name, he looked at me and he goes, his name used so commonly. He goes, would you just do me a favor? And I said, sure. He goes, when you hear one of your students or someone using his name carelessly, please don't say, I'd rather you say, you know, the, the, just look at them and say, please, not his name. Mm, that's good stuff. Isn't that good stuff? Maybe we need to eliminate that from our language. Maybe we need someone to look to, to when, when we are tempted to use the Lord's name carelessly, someone to look at us and say, please, not his name. His name is infinitely valuable. Don't throw mud on the Mona Lisa. Don't destroy a 61 Ferrari because that's what you're doing when you use his name carelessly. Please, not his name because it's valuable to me. It means something to me. Please, not his name. And he just went up and, and he said, he just, as he turned to leave, the elder looked at me and he goes, May God just forgive us for how we've devalued him and devalued his name. That was a man who deeply loved God 
I saw that it emanated from everything that he was. He didn't walk around preaching at people and yelling at people. He walked around with his heart broken by seeing his Lord and Savior's name devalued. Let's all be people like that. This is how you know you hold Jesus infinitely valued. It troubles you, bothers you when you see Jesus degraded or devalued, his name dragged through the mud, or just people minimizing and ignoring, okay? Let's not be people that way. The second thing that this is how you know you hold Jesus as infinitely valuable. Second is this. You love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Okay? Mark 12, 30. And if you have trouble remembering, this is known as the greatest commandment. I'm going to teach you a song that we taught our children. We were teaching our children how to memorize Scripture. Okay? The passage starts in Mark 12, 28 through 30. And so we would sing to our kids at night, love Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love the Lord your God, says Mark 12, 28. Love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love the Lord your God, says Mark 12, 28. Okay? Why don't you all sing that with me, okay? Now, sing this with me because this is how we memorize Scripture. Ready? One, two, three, four. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love the Lord your God, says Mark 12, 28. Love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love the Lord your God, says Mark 12, 28. Okay, you guys are not bad. Okay, need a little work. But I guarantee you'll be singing that. That song will be stuck in your head tonight, okay? You'll be singing that in the car on the way home. That's, that's what that song does. But anyway, this, see, guys, someone that loves God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, this is someone who just believes in God, Okay, it's not someone that believes that there is a God that created everything. This is someone who loves God with every fiber of their being, not under obligation, not under compulsion, not because you're afraid of punishment or want rewards, but simply you see the value in Jesus and you love him with everything that you are. Bill Bright, the founder of Campus Crusade for Christ, one of the most effective college ministries ever invented, Okay, for, uh, was, was, was asked to describe Jesus. Now, this is a man who had been in ministry 30 years. He was an old, older man at the time, probably in his 60s. Been walking with the Lord his whole life. And, and the interviewer just said, hey, tell me about Jesus. Describe Jesus to me. Bill, the interviewer said, Bill Bright sat there. And he sat there for like 30 seconds and didn't say a word. And then his lip began to tremble, and tears began to pour down his face. He couldn't even describe Jesus. He couldn't, because Jesus meant so much to him, and he held him as so valuable that when someone asked him to describe Jesus, all he could do was weep uncontrollably. See, guys, that's someone who loves God on the heart, soul, mind, and strength. He had no words. He couldn't even speak about Jesus without being overcome by the love he had for his Lord and Savior. Napoleon Bonaparte, the general, understood this love. I don't know if he had it for himself, but he, he understood because he understood influence, he understood power, and he understood leadership. And he wrote this, Speaking to one of his generals, he said, I know men, and I tell you that Jesus Christ was not a man. Superficial minds see resemblance between Christ and the founders of other empires and the gods of other religions. He goes, that resemblance does not exist. 
There's between Christianity and other religions the distance of infinity. And then he said this, Alexander, Caesar, Charlemagne, and myself, you know, humble guy, put himself with up all this, you know, uh, founded empires. But on what did we rest the creations of our genius? Upon sheer force. Jesus Christ alone founded his empire upon love. And at this very hour, millions of men would die for him. Oh, that's good stuff. Even someone as power-hungry as Napoleon Bonaparte recognized that the love that Christ's followers had for him did not exist in Bonaparte's followers. People followed Napoleon Bonaparte because they wanted his gifts or they feared that he would uh, punish them somehow. He had fake followers. He said that Jesus has the love of his followers. So much that millions would die for him like that. I heard the story of a, of a, of a young man named Nikolai who was part, he lived in the Soviet Union when it was under the communist rule. And Nikolai was a, a thief. He was a, a murderer. He described himself as a man with no conscience. He was thrown in jail. The, prob, the, the mistake that the, that the Russian, uh, uh, that the Soviet Union prison system made was they, did, they didn't make any distinction between Christians and non-Christians. So when the KGB would round up Christians and pastors and leaders and throw them in jail, they just threw them in there with other common criminals. And Nikolai has spent his entire, entire life in and out of prison. He'd been in more prisons than he could imagine. And he watched, this is the first time he'd ever been thrown in a jail cell with Christians. And he marveled at them. He said, what kind of people are these? If they have a little bit of food, they share it. The, the ones that are sick, they pray, they, 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 they love each other, they sing. We're in a prison, a Soviet Union prison being tortured by the KGB, and they sing at night. What kind of people are these? And finally, he went up and asked one of the Christians what was going on. And he said, we are here because of our love for Jesus. We have committed no crime. We don't act as guilty men. This is where Jesus has us. This is where we worship. This is our church. Wherever we are, this is our church. And Nikolai looked at him and he said, I'm a lost man. I don't have what you have. And the Christian who had a, a wedding ring on, he said, what is the value of this gold ring? And the guy said, well, it's probably, you know, we're worth, worth $50 or so. And he said, the Christian said, what is the value of this ring if it's lost? And Nikolai said, what a, what a stupid question, you know. It's, you've lost it, but someone else will, will have it and it'll be valuable. And, and, he, he, and the, the Christian said, then what's the value of a lost man? What's the value of a lost man? He said, just because you're lost doesn't mean you don't have value. You have the same value that you had when you were made in the image of the one who is infinitely valuable. Nikolai became a Christian, and he discovered this love for Jesus that the Christians in there had. And the jail did not like the fact that he converted to Christianity because it would inspire all the other criminals 
to convert as well, and they wanted to stop Christianity, so they decided to make an example out of Nikolai. They, they, in front of all of the prisoners, they put out his eyes. And uh, I take that back. Let me, they, they, they said, deny Christ, or we're going to gouge out your eyes. And he said this. He said, if you gouge out these eyes, I will see sights more beautiful than you could ever imagine in heaven. And so they, so they did it. And they said, deny Jesus or we're going to cut out your tongue. And he said, praise the Lord Jesus Christ. I have just now said the highest words that can be said. Now, if you wish, may cut out my tongue. Instead of doing that, the KGB just killed him. He died a martyr. That is the mark of someone who loves Jesus with all the heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's how you know that Jesus is infinitely valuable. Nikolai was, just said, I, I, I don't value this world. This is not where I belong. All I know is I'm not home yet. This is not where I belong. Take this world. Give me Jesus. That's someone that sees Jesus as infinitely valuable. And the third thing that marks someone who holds Jesus as infinitely valuable is to cut loose anything that would steal God's glory. Hebrews 12, 1 through 3 tells us this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and not lose heart. So my question, church, is what in your life is stealing the glory of God? What have you placed as greater value than Jesus in your life? What thing in your life have you elevated to a higher value than that of Jesus? What do you believe? This is the stupidest question I could ask. What do you believe to be so much more important, more beautiful, more attractive, more desirable, and more satisfying than Jesus? What is it? See, I always kind of grew up thinking that I was doing God a big favor by following him. When I was a young Christian, uh, you know, I was doing God a big favor by going to church. Yep. God, you sure are glad to, good to have, glad to have me on your team, aren't you? Yep, I hope you realize what a big deal is that I'm giving you my time and effort and presence. I didn't say that, but that was kind of my attitude. Maybe it's because the church valued so much, hey, get here, get here, we need a crowd, we need a crowd, we need a crowd. So I thought, well, God sure is happy to have me in church on Sunday morning. And God, I thought God would respond, oh gosh, yes. I mean, anything I can do just to get, make you appreciate me and love me. I, I mean, how, how, uh, can we get together next week too? And I'm like, hey, 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 God, you know, hey, hey, let's not get ahead of ourselves. You know, if nothing else better comes up, yeah, I'll do that. You know, uh, you know and stick around though, God, because I might be there. And God would answer, oh, you bet, Mr. Kibler. That was my attitude. I didn't speak it, but that was my attitude. And unfortunately, that attitude exists in this church too. Unfortunately, when you read the Bible, you see something completely different. Jesus didn't beg anyone. He didn't beg anyone to follow him. Jesus was not interested in having a crowd. 
Jesus looked at the people following him and said, if, you, if I'm not the prize, if I am not more valuable than anything in your life, you can't be my disciple. He said, anyone who comes to me and doesn't forsake mother and father and money and job and career and friends and comfort and ease, you can't be my disciple. That's what Jesus said. Very different than the way the church presents things. Okay? Jesus looked at the world and said, I don't have a quota to meet. I'm not going to beg you to follow me. I'm going to show myself to be infinitely valuable. And if you think something less than me is more desirable, then go after it and love it. It won't love you. It won't save you. But knock yourself out. I am looking for people who will follow me to the cross and sacrifice it all because they see me as of greater, infinite value than anything else in the world. That's what Jesus is looking for today. My son came up to me several years ago and said, hey, Dad, want some Pez? Colored sugar. No. No, thanks. I don't like Pez all that much. It's not, it's not good. And then he goes, hey, Dad, want some Pez? And I'm like, of course, man. That's Iron Man. Okay, yeah, I'll take one. question is this, church. I didn't want the Pez until I saw it wrapped up in an attractive package. My question for you, church, today is, is Jesus the prize? Or is he only attractive when he's wrapped up in a nice, convenient package? See, guys, we have, we have a phenomenal worship team here. We really do. We're extremely talented musicians. We've got a great tech staff that present, you know, screens and videos and easy-to-read stuff. We have nice chairs for everyone to sit in. I'm thankful for those. I'm glad they're not crashing. We have air conditioning. We have heating. We've got youth ministries. And we've got children's ministries. And we've got all these amazing things to offer people. And I'm glad that we do because we want to do our best for God. But my question is this, what if those things didn't exist? What if we didn't have coffee? What if we had uncomfortable chairs or no chairs at all? What if we didn't have heat or air conditioning or lights or if we didn't have any sound system? What if we didn't have any of this? Would Jesus be enough? Or are we simply wrapping Jesus in an attractive package and so that so that People will arrive. If all of that stuff was gone, you all, would we still be here giving Jesus our praise and our worship because we see him as infinitely valuable? That's the question. Like I said, I'm thankful for how God has blessed us here. He's given us property. He's given us this building, this amazing stuff. But is Jesus enough without it, you all? That's a question I want to leave burning in your hearts as you go home today. Maybe, uh, maybe we need to leave with a 
sense of repentance that we've minimized the name of Jesus. We've just liked the, the package that the church has wrapped him up in, but we're really not into Jesus all that much. Maybe we need to repent that. Maybe we need to leave that here and then walk out of here joyful at enjoying Jesus being infinitely valuable. And let's pray for his believers, his followers that stayed home today and chose something else other than giving worship to the one who's infinitely valuable. You all, let's not use $50 bills, $100 bills to blow our nose. Let's not destroy $5,000 Taylor guitars like Pete Townsend of The Who. Let's not destroy 1961 Ferraris, okay? And let's not throw paint on the Mona Lisa, let's not bulldoze the Sistine Chapel, and let's not minimize the name of Jesus, please, not his name. God bless you. We'll see you next Sunday. Adios.